So today, we pause uh, our Ephesians series. We have been going through Ephesians series since February, and we're going to end next Sunday. But we'll pause that to celebrate, to celebrate and talk about the resurrection. We're talking about the resurrection. We, and we will look at another letter of Paul, this time in the church in Corinth, where he writes where he writes extensively about the resurrection. You know how extensively? 58 verses. Well, the letter is mostly about, if you've read 1 first, uh, first Corinthians, uh, this is about correcting many questionable practices of that church. This is a problematic church. A problematic church. There's sexual immorality. There are disputes in the church. They're suing each other, there's division, and there are questionable expressions of public worship. In fact, uh, in the Lord's Supper, they, they come at the Lord's Supper already drinking. So they're already filled with a spirit. <laughs> a spirit. <laughs> so after correcting yung mga issues that they have as a church, you will notice towards the end, which is, you know, chapter 15 and, and 16. But in chapter 15, Paul talks about Christ's resurrection extensively. As if he's saying, you know, your issues in the church boils down to the fact that you have forgotten what the resurrection means. So today, what I hope is to help us recover the importance of Christ's resurrection for us so that when we say, I believe in the resurrection, I believe in the resurrection, it has some weight to it. So what do we believe about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? So let me give to you our, out, our outline today. So we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is historically credible. It is spiritually understood. And it is personally relevant. Let's go through them one by one. So we need to understand that when we say we believe in the resurrection, it was, it's not just a story. It is written and verified in history. That's why in verse 3 of chapter 15, Paul writes, for I, pass on, for I pass on to you as most important what I also receive. What is that? That Christ died for our sin according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appear, appeared to Cephas, meaning Peter, then to the 12, then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. So basically, Paul is saying there's proof, and the first proof is the scripture. All these things that happen is in accordance to the scripture. So the first proof of Christ's life, death, and resurrection is scripture itself. So when we say, 
you know, Scripture interprets Scripture. Scripture supports Scripture. This is what it means. That from, from the Old Testament to the New, it supports the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So meaning, if you look at the Word of God, you will see that the resurrection is not a surprise plot twist. It is a preordained event that the Old Testament has been alluding to the resurrection. That even Christ himself talks about the resurrection. But, you know, people do not understand that and we'll talk about that later on. So the first proof must start with the scripture. But then he goes on that the proof also includes eyewitness accounts. Sino yung mga eyewitness accounts? Peter, obviously, Cephas, the twelve, so the disciples, and then you have a crowd, a crowd of 500 at one time. Meaning, if we claim that they are, the disciples are experiencing hallucination, it's going to be a mass hallucination and, and, and that's improbable to, to verify yung, yung mass hallucination. Okay. May binigay pang qualification. The 500, most of them are alive. Meaning, go talk to them. Approach them. Ask them what they experience. Who else? James. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who literally grew up with Jesus. And you remember his biological family were not really supportive of his ministry. And then you have now this brother saying that uh, as, as an eyewitness uh, of the resurrection of his brother. And if you look at the book of Acts, James now is leading the Christian church in Jerusalem. And if you look at the epistle of James, that's the brother of Jesus, he called himself at the start of the letter, not the brother of the Lord, but the servant of God and of my Lord Jesus. And who is the last eyewitness according to Paul? Himself. And that could be a really good uh, support for, for what he's saying because you know, he is contradictory to this movement. And if he is saying, you know, the claims of this group is really legit, you would believe it because he was once contradicting them. You know, uh, you know the names that, not were, that were not mentioned in this passage, but clearly in the gospel? The testimony of women. The testimony of women. And by the way, this is not going to be uh, an attack on, on women. In fact, we, you know, this is actually an appreciation to, to the women in the story. You know, if you're going to manufacture a conspiracy, if you're going to embellish a story at that time, you will not mention women as your eyewitness account. You will not mention it because it will 
probably reduce the validity of your testimony. And yet, yet, this is my proof that you know the, the gospel is really inclusive in, in, uh, in with, with everyone. All the gospel accounts mention the women as the first to witness Christ's resurrection. Because you know why? Because they're confident with their testimony. That the writers were just telling the story as it is. They're not embellishing it. They're confident. Put the, put the testimony of the women there because it's legit. We can trust their testimony. Pero pastor, you're using sources na bias. Yan. Gamit na gamit yan ngayon eh. You're using sources that are biased. You're, you're proving the merits of the resurrection based on the scripture and based on uh, the eyewitness accounts who are probably biased as well because they're part of the movement. Well, you know, if you look at uh, historical accounts, whether they're Christian or non-Christian or opposing Christians, you can summarize these things and they agree on four things. Okay, they agree on four things. By the way, this was, uh, I did not make this list. Uh, a pastor from Singapore whom I met compiled this summary. All historians, whether they're Christians, non-Christians, or against Christians agree on four things. Number one, there's this Jesus that was crucified, died, and buried. Number two, the tomb where he was placed was empty. Number three, a significant number of people saw Jesus alive. Ito yung sinasabi ni, ni Paul. And number four, his followers were radically changed. If this is not legit, if this is manipulated, how would people have the courage to die for something that was fabricated? Would, would risk their lives for something that was fabricated? You know what this means for us today? The world we live in today was shaped by that historical event. Let me give you an example. You know, in, in the U.S., um, there's, this, uh, there's this fast food chain called Chick-fil-A. And this is Chris's favorite uh, uh, fast food restaurant. And easily, easily my favorite chicken sandwich. If you go to a Chick-fil-A, you will see a sign there that says, Close Sunday. Close Sunday. They don't operate on Sundays. And you're here, you're here right now, if you have jobs, because normally, Sunday is your rest day. You know where that came from? In 321 AD, the Emperor Constantine, which uh, they said was, you know, historically converted to Christianity, but that's, you know, that's another topic altogether. He made a decree, an, uh, an emperor's decree throughout the Roman Empire. Ano yun? Ito yung decree. On the venerable day of the sun, Sunday, 
let the magistrates and the people residing in cities rest. Let all workshops be closed, closed on Sunday. You know, people say, oh, that's why we have, we have Sunday for, uh, for the gathering of Christian churches. Well, what's, what happened was, more than 200 years prior to the decree of Emperor Constantine, Christians all over the Roman Empire and its all territories have been regularly gathering on the first day of the week, Sunday. Sunday is the first day of the week. They have been doing that prior to the decree. They, they called it the Lord's Day. Because this was the day that Christ their Lord resurrected. So they gather to celebrate. You know what that means? In that, in that sense, we are entering into a new week resting in the finished work of Christ. We start a new week not working, but resting on the finished work of Christ. How amazing is that? So Constantine, Emperor Constantine, making Sunday a rest day did not revolutionize the world. It did not start from him. He responded to what the Christians are already doing. But think about it. How could a politically powerless religious group have such an impact in the modern world two years, 200 years after the fact? You know the answer? Because Christ's resurrection is historically credible, they cannot deny it. They cannot deny it. Here's a second implication. Because Christ's resurrection is historically credible, you don't have to rely on your feelings for your faith. You don't have to rely on your emotions. It is grounded on the objective historical facts. It's beyond your emotion. You know what happens? Many times in our Christian journey, we feel like, you know, I'm not a good Christian now, so I don't go to church. You know, I, I feel like a good Christian, so I serve. I feel like God is far away. I'm not sure if I'm not Christian. You know, our emotions go through that roller coaster. And if that is our basis for our faith, we will not remain faithful in Christian faith. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we should not have emotions. In fact, you know, the gospel affects all aspects of our lives, including our emotions. So there's, there's space for us to, to show and express our emotions uh, in our Christian faith, but it should not be the driver of our faith. Because when we hype our emotions through artificial means, hoping that it will make our faith more real and more valid, 
we're saying that the objective resurrection of Jesus Christ is not enough. We're saying, I need more. I need an emotional high to make this real. So we're making our emotion more valid than the objective resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you know what? Through the ups and downs of our emotion and circumstances, the fact that Christ's resurrection remains true and unchanging means your faith will never waver if it's anchored on the objective, historically credible resurrection of your Savior. So friends, every Christian must believe that Jesus' tomb is empty because he is truly alive. Otherwise, otherwise, you are believing a fairy tale. In fact, yun nga yung sinabi ni Paul in, 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 in the text that Pean read. If this is not true, then our faith is futile. And if your faith is based on a fairy tale, Paul says, then we are the most pathetic people in the world. Pero Pastor, if Christ's resurrection is historically credible, how come there are still those who deny it? Shouldn't we be on the same page by now? Shouldn't it be not refuted? Dapat di ba wala ng fake news about Christ's resurrection? Well, you know what? We could say the same thing about flat earth theory. Meron bang flat earther dito? Uh, are you familiar with the... F <laughs> Sige. I, I will not press further. <laughs> I will not press further. So a flat earth theory believes that you know, the earth is not round, it's flat. <laughs> I hope that you will be reformed today. <laughs> you know, despite, despite overwhelming scientific evidence the earth, that the earth is round, we have significant number of people who deny it. Because I do not see it. I do not feel it. I, I don't see it's, it's not tangible for me. Yan, yan yung problem kapag hindi objective yung uh, basis natin. So merong ganon, merong, there are a number of people who will always deny it. The same way with the resurrection of Christ. Even if we have sufficient evidence of its validity, even though many people from different camps would agree of its historicity, there would be some people who will not understand its meaning. You know why? Because history itself is not sufficient to produce faith. We need spiritual eyes to see the meaning behind the facts. And this is our point number two, that the resurrection is spiritually understood. Let's Let's take a step back uh, from, from this letter to a, a resurrection story in uh, the Gospel of Luke. And you're, many of you are familiar with this. Luke 24, this is the story of uh, two disciples, Cleopas and an unnamed disciple on the road to Emmaus. 
So verse 13, the very day of the resurrection, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about what happened during Holy Week. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But what's happening? Their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus. And he said to them, Jesus talked to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And you can see the emotion. They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, Cleopas, answered, Are you just a visitor in Jerusalem and you don't know what happened the last couple of days? Which is, by the way, you know, if, if you're a historical uh, nerd, it would, this would tell you, this would tell you that what happened in Jerusalem at that time is not an obscure thing. It's a, it's a, people are talking about it. It's trending. It's trending. It's viral. So, visitor ka lang ba in, in, in these places? We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And besides all of this, it's now the third day, Sunday, since these things happened. And some women, we talked about earlier, of our company amaze us. They were at the tomb early in the morning when they did not find the body. And they came back saying that they even had seen a vision of angels who said that Jesus was alive. You know, instead of being excited about these things, about the possible news that their savior, the, the, their rabbi is alive, they're confused. And it made them miserable. These disciples, clearly not understanding the meaning of the events surrounding Christ's death and supposed resurrection, even if the one that they're talking about is right beside them, did not understand what's going on. Did not understand. Until Christ opened their eyes. Look at the, you know, verse 30 as we move forward with the story. So they, um, uh, Jesus uh, explained the scripture about, about himself. Verse 30, as he was, at, it was as he reclined at the table because they're dining together. He took the bread and blessed and broke it, communion, and gave it to them. Verse 31, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They recognized him. Friends, the significance of the resurrection is incomprehensible in our eyes until Christ opens our spiritual eyes to understand it. Let me repeat that. The significance of the resurrection is incomprehensible to us until Christ opens our spiritual eyes to understand it. And that's what Paul is saying here. That's what he experienced. So after detailing the facts, dun sa first uh, 10 verses of chapter 15, he explains the meaning behind the facts. Ano yung meaning behind the facts? And I will just really brush through all these verses. 
he explained the outcome of the resurrection in verses 20 to 22, that all will be made alive in Christ. Number two, he explained that there is an order of resurrection. There will be an order of resurrection. The most important thing here is that Christ is the prototype, the model of the resurrection. And number three, he explained the purpose of the resurrection. And the purpose is this, that God has put everything under Christ's feet. He is explaining that the resurrection proves the complete rule of Christ as king. You know, this is a statement of someone who understands the true meaning of the resurrection, not just the merits of it. Someone who spent his life searching the scripture. Remember, you know, Paul is a, is a student of the scripture. He has been searching the scripture all his life, but it only made sense when he encountered the risen Christ. This is someone who at one point zealously persecuted Christians, but now his spiritual, spiritual eyes can understand and thankfully can explain to us the meaning of the resurrection. And ironically, if you remember the, the story of uh, Paul's conversion, Saul's conversion, it took a, a physical blindness for him to actually see the meaning of the scripture that he is studying. So what does this mean for me, Pastor? Well, number one, it should provide us a sense of humility. Understanding that the significance of the resurrection is not a badge of honor for us. It is a sign of God's grace in your life that he would graciously open your eyes to see the depths of his glorious plan. And so we need to have that uh, approach of humility when we are engaging people who are trying to figure out what the resurrection means. We cannot say, ah, ganyan ka kasi, kasi hindi ka katulad ko. We may not say that, you know, uh, that way, but our hearts say that. But we must, we must have a sense of humility because we did not manufacture it. We did not manufacture it. But on the flip side of that, it ought to give those who are timid or shy about the gospel, it gives you a sense of confidence. Because our faith hinges on the supernatural act of God, you can never mess it up. Friend, you are not that powerful. You can never mess it up because it was not in your hands to begin with. And you know, because your Savior has overcome death, no one and nothing can truly hurt you. Nothing or no one can break you to the point of you say this is all worthless and so we need spiritual eyes to see the meaning 
of the resurrection. And you know what? God graciously gives that to us. The last, the resurrection is also personally relevant. And this is important because we might look at point number one and point number two. You might say, oh, that's good, Pastor. That's, I understand and I appreciate what happened to Christ. But we must also appreciate that the resurrection has personal ramifications to us. Merong, meron siyang uh, implication to us today. Let me explain by reading uh, verses 50 to 53 of uh, 1 Corinthians 15. What am I saying, brothers? Basically, nasa conclusion na si Paul. Is this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will all be changed. For this incorruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. What is Paul talking about here? Well, First, we must understand yung context of why he's talking about these things. He's correcting uh, an, a false view of the resurrection here. In the Greek mind, they, they put a dichotomy, a division of spirit or soul and your physical body. Your soul or your spirit is good and your physical body is bad. Meaning, if you go to heaven, if you're good enough, if you accomplish a lot, your soul will go to heaven, not your body. So, I, I'm, I'm guessing many of us still in this uh, Catholic uh, country think that in heaven we will be like translucent uh, beings na walang body, puro souls lang. That's a Greek uh, idea. Number two, yes, they believe in Christ's resurrection, but that is an exception. That is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It happened to him because he is God, and that's it. And with this passage, he corrects the misconception. He is saying because Christ physically resurrected, we will experience bodily resurrection. Remember when Jesus resurrected, he did not just immediately went uh, back to heaven. He dined and, and, and fellowshiped with his disciples. He showed his wound. He said, Meron ba kayong pagkain dito? He asked food. He ate with them. You know what that means? The resurrection of Christ is the glorious pattern of our very own transformation. Have you had a chance to think about your bodily resurrection? Have you, 
you know, pause for a moment. What does my glorified body looks like? You know, if you're if you're 30 and above, if you're if you have children, if you have a two-year-old, <laughs> you should feel by now the corruptible nature of your body. You know, I, I, I always mention, I, I'm 40 years old, but my knees and my back is senior citizens. I have frequent migraines. Happens every Sunday, by the way. Sunday afternoon. But thank God, it hasn't been happening frequently now. How about you? How about the aches and pains that you're experiencing? Think about the virus that's invisible to the eyes that can shut down your whole body, shut down the whole economy. How, how about a body that was ravaged by cancer? If these are the things that we bring into eternity, it will never last. I don't want to spend eternity with a migraine. Would you like that? I want my niece to be to be to be working properly. You know our bodies right now cannot withstand the glorious nature of eternity with God. We desperately need new bodies. And if even you think you are at the prime of your life as many of you are, that you have mastered the way to show your health and your beauty, your running, your biking, your swimming. Now you have the means and the energy to feel good about where you are right now physically. Guess what? Compared to what's coming, as I think Spurgeon said this, you are a block of wood compared to what's coming. The resurrection of Christ gives us the hope that we will have a body perfectly designed for the enjoyment of eternal life. And here's what uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism question 28 says. 38. The question is, what, are, what's, what benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? And this is a succinct answer. Uh, at the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed, perfectly enjoying the fullness of God in all eternity. Yes, our souls have been redeemed from sin, but you know the good news, our bodies are delivered from weakness, from pain, from decay, and from death. And that should, that should be something that you look forward to. That's, that should be something that you are excited about. That's why Paul exclaims in, in, in 54 and 55 of the text, death has been swallowed up in victory. 
Where death is your victory? Where is your sting? Well, if that is something that we can look forward to, the resurrection, and we don't know where, when that will happen, it could be later today, it could be tomorrow, it could be 10 years from now, but what does it mean for us now? Well, Paul gives us a reminder, an application in the last verse. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast. In all of these things, because we understand the resurrection of Christ, it has personal uh, relevance, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that, you, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know, there's, there's value in staying faithful in your Christian walk. There's value in fighting against your sinful nature. There's value in striving for the gospel. So that we can say, along with Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Lastly, to know that Christ's resurrection is personally relevant to us now, it means, friends, you do not have to live in fear anymore. You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear the future. You don't have to live in fear. So, we believe in the resurrection that is historically credible spiritually understood and personally relevant that's why today the resurrection sunday holds so much importance to all of us but and this is a, this is my challenge for all of us today let's argue let's argue for a second that jesus's resurrection was not true let's just argue for a second that yung resurrection is, is all a lie. It was a fabricated story uh, of a small group of pan fanatics. If that was the case, then I just wasted your time today. I wasted your time. At best, at best, you get to socialize with others. You can bring your family out. You can go to the playground and enjoy uh, a slightly good weather if it's not raining. You can enjoy food later. You can catch up with friends, old and new, but there's no meaning behind it. Tulad nung sinabi ni Paul, we did not read it. He, he quoted the scripture and said, let's just drink and be merry. And tomorrow we die. That's all we can do if all these things we're talking about is not true. But, but, if on the other hand, Christ's resurrection is true, then it should radically change the way you look at the world today. It should radically change the way you view your future. It should radically change the way you live your life today. 
Because if Christ is living and ruling today as king of the universe, then that is bad news to all sinners. That includes you and me. Because he is a just and righteous king who set everything right. He will set everything right. And all sins are accounted for. But it is good news to sinners who confess their sinfulness, repent, and turn to God for salvation. Friends, that could be you and me as well. So I hope that you resolve that in your heart today. If Christ really resurrected, then it means everything in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to reflect on your word, to be reminded of the power of the gospel, that we are at a loss that we are deserving of the wrath that's coming to us. But because our Savior is alive and He is our King, He is our Lord, then we have the good news. Help us to live a life surrounding the resurrection of our Savior. Help us look forward to our own resurrection Help us not waste our life today. Help us live the gospel every day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.